thank you all for coming today to our second annual DBI Summit, uh, Meet the Pros. Um, today you are sitting if you in this room because you want to know how to get a permit. So we're going to go through that, discuss that, and uh, we'll open up to questions. Please interrupt me at any time if you don't understand what I'm tr trying to convey, um, and we'll, we'll, we'll get through this. But today, today's uh, purpose of this session is to understand the permitting process and to know the, some of the regulating agencies in that process, to understand some of your permit review options, to learn about rules and regulations, and to be aware of some of the available resources to you. By coming here today, you've already seen some of the resources available. Um, you've come through the lobby, and you've, you've seen our staff out there. Um, let me conduct an uh, informal survey here. Um, how many of you are homeowners? All right. How many uh, engineers? One. Wow, it's the first time ever. Um, architects? Two. Contractors? No contractors. Wow. Real estate agents? Okay. And, and then other, right? Um, I want to, before I get started here, I want to introduce the people here sitting with me. Um, to my left is Vivian Day. She is the manager for permit services. Next to her is Jonas Ionen, who is the, uh, a senior planner with the uh, planning department. And they are here to help answer any questions and also talk a little bit about some of the things they do. But well, let me, before I, I talk about how to get a permit, let me tell you why getting a permit is a good thing. Okay? It provides a minimum, when you do get a permit, it gets you minimum standards for habitability and fire life safety. All right. And minimum standards for structural and seismic safety. It provides for minimum standards for energy conservation. But the most important thing, I think, in this whole process is that when you actually go to build something, we can help provide verification that the construction meets the minimum standard of care so that you get what you're paying for, basically. Sometimes you don't need a permit. And so there is some certain types of work that does not require permitting. And that includes these items that I've listed here on the, on the board. Um, storage sheds, less than 100 square feet. Front fences less than three. Um, sometimes you may need, depending if you encroach onto the sidewalk, you may need a, 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 an encroachment permit for that, though. Um, other fences in the rest of the property that are less than six feet tall. Certainly movable cases and counters for, uh, um, for tenant improvement projects and things like that. Um, partitions less than five feet nine. And retaining walls that are less than four feet, measured from the bottom of the footing to the top of the wall. Other things that do not require permits include platforms or walkways not part of the exit that are less than 30 inches above the adjacent grade. Um, certainly painting and wallpapering is, does not require a permit. Minor repairs to your interior plaster or sheetrock does not require a permit. Floor coverings, if you're doing your carpeting that does not, or, or new hardwood floors, that does not require a permit. But if you're going to remove the, the, the actual structural sheathing, then that does require a permit. So there's a, there's a little bit of difference. And glazing repair does not require a permit. Now, this is not the entire window replacement, but the actual glass or the glazing itself that you're replacing or repairing, that does not require a permit. Um, there's some other work that does not require a permit for electrical, such as some low-voltage installations. Not all. There's, there's going to be some that don't require it. 
And certainly if you're re uh, replacing cover plates or uh, 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 residential fixtures. And for fl plumbing, if you're replacing your faucet, you don't need a permit. And if you're replacing uh, your toilet with a low flow toilet, you do not need a permit. But if you're replacing it with a regular flow or a high flow toilet, then yes, you do need a permit for that. So now you've, based on the fact that nobody's left so far, you guys don't have that work that doesn't need a permit. So there are some permitting options that you have available to you. We have expanded over-the-counter permit review services. Um, you can certainly submit jobs to us, and we'll review them um, at our leisure. And then there's, uh, within that site, submitted projects, we can break it out to site permits, and, 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 and certainly everything that comes to us is under parallel review. I'm going to touch a little bit about site permits right now. Um, when you have a big project, and big meaning, let's say you're, because you, most of you are homeowners, let's say you're adding a story to your house. Sometimes it is advantageous to submit for a site permit first which is basically plans and elevations depicting the nature of your work without any of the full-blown architectural details or engineering details. What that allows you to do is get that submittal to us and to planning for neighborhood notification and review and commenting and so forth, and also planning review um, and basic um, building review without spending a whole lot of money up front on the architectural or engineering costs because, you know, your one-story addition or two-story addition may turn out to be substantially smaller or maybe bigger. Okay, your horizontal addition may be smaller, maybe bigger, whatever it is. The idea of the site permit is to allow you to get into the process, okay, before you spend a whole chunk of change um, detailing everything out that you may not get to build for whatever reasons. And certainly submitted jobs that come to us, we put that in the parallel review process. What that means is that... It will go to multiple agencies at the same time. Once the drawings come to us from the department, uh, from the uh, planning department, or um, from our, uh, from our, if it doesn't need planning review, then it comes directly to us. We will distribute it automatically to the other review agencies, and I'll talk about that in a little bit later. Um, and so up front, we'll tell you, you know, you're going to need three cop, three drawings, or four drawings, four, four sets of drawings, or something like that, so that we could put it into all the different agencies. Now, for, certainly if you come in with two, we'll take the two now, and then we'll take the two other ones later. So you know, it, it's dependent upon you on, on, on bringing those drawings in to help us coordinate that review. So let's say you have a smaller project that can be done over the counter. Um, these would be alterations with and without plans. Now, there's some things that don't require plans, and I'll get into that a little bit. But then, you know, a lot of bathroom remodels or substantial bathroom models, I should say, or some other uh, additions or stuff like that that would require plans, and that would go under building and structural uh, plan review, maybe mechanical plan review. And if you're in the jurisdiction of the fire department, um, such as if you're in an apartment building, the fire department will also look at that. So some of the smaller jobs that don't require plans, okay, that can come in for counter review. Um, dry rot repair. Reroofing, window replacement, garage door replacement if it's the same size, non-structural kitchen and bathroom remodels. So you're not moving any walls or knocking, you know, knocking holes in your walls. Um, you can come in without plans for that. Uh, certainly replacement or repair of stucco or siding. 
Um, if you're changing your exterior from stucco to siding or vice versa, um, you may not need plans for that, but the plan department's going to require some pictures. If you're strengthening your building for earthquakes or whatever else, and you're installing anchor bolts and flywood sheathing, that does not require plans. Now, I, I want to differentiate this strengthening from actual seismic retrofitting. Um, this strengthening is basically a homeowner or your, your contractor putting in additional walls and bolting, um, but it does not necessarily meet the code for seismic uh, upgrade. And so we differentiate that. If you're actually coming in for a full-blown seismic upgrade, that does require plans and engineering review. And certainly there's some incidences where if we issue you a notice of violation in order to take care of that notice of violation, um, you, you may not need plans. Okay. okay, so you have a, a project, and now you want to know if you can go over, over the counter. Well, it really depends on the complexity of the project. We ha in the past, we used to provide over-the-counter service for 15 minutes or less. So that basically limited jobs to very small jobs. Now, with our new director, we have expanded that counter review to an hour. Okay? So that means we can take in much more complicated projects. And for those uh, um, architects that do tenant improvement, we do a lot of our tenant improvement work over-the-counter. Um, Perhaps a, a, a grocery store may, may come over the counter or a new restaurant, depending on the complexity. And our, our staff will basically judge it up front to give you an idea, give you expectations that, yes, this can be done in an hour, or no, you know what, this job is a four-hour job. I mean, I got somebody coming in the other day for a hotel uh, renovation. It was like four stories. He thought he could do it over the counter. We can't do that in, over the, in an hour. So you have to understand that there are certain limitations to what we can or cannot provide you. But certainly our goal is to provide you the best customer service that we can. Okay. Um, and when you do come over the counter, it may require additional per, uh, a review by multiple agencies, such as the plan department or the Bureau of Street and Mapping and, and other people like that. So what happens when you come in with a project um, that has plans, or actually goes, take a step back. When you come in with a project with no plans right now, today, because we're going through a lot of process changes, um, and so tomorrow might be different, or actually tomorrow we're closed, but, uh, and Monday might be different, but today you would come in on the first floor, and when you walk in the door at 1660 Mission Street, you have no plans, you go to the right-hand side, and there's a, there's a building inspector there waiting to uh, review your application and permit uh, um, uh, application. But let's say you have a much more, much more complicated project. You're doing a bathroom remodel, and you're knocking out walls because you want to make, make a big master bathroom. Uh, what you would do is you would come in with the plans, and you would go to the fourth floor at 1660 Mission Street to our intake counter, where we're going to do initial screening of your permit application. At this stage, what we're looking for is the application information, uh, applicant information, the scope of work of your project, building characteristics, and the completeness of the submittal package and the quality of that submittal package. Because one of the things that we do is if it's not complete, we can really can't review it. Right? If it's illegible, we can't review it. We, and certainly we couldn't microfilm it. That's one of the things that we do is that when we have pro, you know, projects that are submitted to us, we do microfilm it for posterity. Okay, so it's kind of important. This is actually one of our most important stages of our review because this kind of tells you how much time to expect or whether or not it could be reviewed 
in the, in, in the, in the next stages. And I just talked about review, review and approval of alteration of projects with no plan. Certainly, if you happen to walk right by the, uh, the first floor counter, the, the folks over at intake could also review and, and potentially approve. I, I don't want to ever say that we're going to approve right away, but potentially approve your project over the counter right there at that initial intake station. The uh, intake folks will also um, route you to the necessary review stations. Okay. So what does that mean? routing you to uh, the uh, necessary review stations. Well, if you're doing a horizontal addition to your house or a vertical addition to your house, you're going to need planning approval. If you're doing window replacements you're gonna, at the street side, you're going to need planning approval. Um, if you're doing rooms down, that's a very common thing to do here, where you're adding rooms or bathrooms within the existing building envelope um, on the first floor, right? That's, that's, that's a common thing. That requires planning review. Once you get through planning, if you do get through planning, um, you're going to be routed to the Department of Building Inspections, uh, building and or structural plan review, and then also mechanical plan review if you're adding space. If you're adding a bathroom, let's say, mechanical will look at that as well. Okay. Um, and again, if it's you're in the jurisdiction of the fire department, the fire department gets their say. Um, if you're doing anything in the street, let's say you're encroaching in the street or you're doing some sewer work or you're doing... Um, <clears throat> or you need uh, uh, construction workspace for, for uh, uh, loading and unloading your uh, um, lumber, or if you need a debris box, you would need to get a permit from the Bureau of Street Use and Mapping. Yes, sir. Could you just say how long um, Well, if you're doing a window replacement and your building is not historic, uh, when we get to historic, that, that, you know, that, that could be an interesting issue. Um, the review at the planning department takes a couple of minutes, uh, five, ten minutes? Yeah, I mean, depending upon the type of work that you're doing, if, if we're taking the windows, for example, if you're replacing windows with like windows, in kind, meaning same material, same size, five minutes. Yes. Yes. Well, I'm saying you're... <laughs> Your five minutes is the face time with the planner. Uh, the wait time can vary. Yeah. The wait time, that's a, that's a good question. It, there's a difference between actual review time and actual wait time. Because we cannot predict how many people come in through the door on any given day, um, what we try to do at, at building, and I'm sure planning tries to do the same thing, is that limit your wait time to about 30, a maximum of 30 minutes. Okay. So what that means is if, we're, if you're waiting more than 30 minutes or if there's a big, giant crowd, we'll bring additional uh, plan reviewers up to uh, help you re help relieve the uh, congestion. Okay. Now, that plan review, like I said, if it's a, depending on the nature of the job, could last anywhere from 15 minutes to an hour. Right? We're, giving it, we're giving you an hour to provide that extra uh, customer service um, because otherwise, normally, if in the past, if it was a project that would take an hour, we would have taken that in and you would have sat in the backlog for months and years. So, what were, yes? Absolutely, absolutely. I encourage people to come at 8 o'clock in the morning or at, uh, it seems to me, at, at least for, for most of our review stations, um, the, the congestion occurs around lunchtime. Uh, and I'm not quite sure why, because our staffing levels, at least for plan review and for planning, are the same. 
So I think it's, you know, people just waking up later in the day or they figure, you know, they, they got all day to come out here. Now, one of the things that I'm glad you kind of brought that up, one of the things that's interesting is that um, because you have to go to various stations, you don't have the ex please don't have the expectation that you can come in and walk out in an hour and get a permit. It really depends on the scope of the work that you have and how many other people are there. Because at every review station, we're going to give you an up to an hour. So if you need to go to planning department, if you need to go to building, if you need to go to mechanical, if you need to go to fire, that's four hours, right? So plus the wait time. So please understand that if you're if you're in the building department for half a day, that's depending on the nature of the work, that's almost normal. If you're coming in for a roofing permit, you're in and out. Done. But you know, if you're coming in for rooms down, it may take you a couple hours. Right. You might want to mention the um, start times. I think you're over-the-counter permitting and, and the upstairs, I think, on Wednesdays is a little right. different than 8 a.m. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, Jonas. Um, our counter review times are uh, Monday to Friday, 8 to 5 o'clock. Okay? Um, on Wednesdays, we open at 9.30. So on Wednesday mornings, um, 9.30. Actually, lately it's been pretty good, uh, but sometimes kind of crowded on Wednesday mornings. Now, when I say 5 o'clock, that means re review time goes up until 5 o'clock. At 4.30, the, um, our Central Permit Bureau actually s stops additional customers from coming in. And the reason for that is because there's already a queue, and they can't process everybody by 5 o'clock. So at 4.30, we stop the line for Central Permit Bureau. So that, but our, our plan review can continue. It just means that you've got to come back the next day if you get approval you need to come back the next day to actually get your permit, okay? So our guys are going to stay until 5 or beyond 5 if, if they've already started to help you get through the plan review. Um, so I hope that, you know, answers that question. Yes, sir. That is, that is DPW. Oh, yeah, sure. Sorry. The question was, um, what about DPW or Department of Public Works uh, review? Is that the same as uh, Bureau of Street Use and Mapping? Yes, it is. Um, DPW, Bureau of Street Use and Mapping is a bureau within the Department of Public Works. Currently, they have a station on the first floor, um, but like I said, we're changing every day, so Monday may be uh, somewhere else. And the, uh, and the Public Utilities Commission gets a piece of the action, so depending on the nature of your work, they may have to review your job. So what happens? You came in for intake and additional screening. They said, yeah, it looks like we could do it over the counter. You go to the initial permit, you go to the permit review stations, and they said, you know what, it looks great, wonderful, we're going to sign it off, and you're done. Two hours later, you're down at Central Permit Bureau, and you guess what? You get to pay. And yet there's a lot of fees you get to pay. You get to pay the permit review fee, you get to pay inspection fees, you get to pay PUC, you get to pay the transit impact. Depending on the scope of your project, you could have even more fees than this. Um, and then if you're increasing area that's more than 500 square feet, you get to pay school fees. Um, if you're a contractor pulling the project for a, uh, a, a homeowner, or if you're the homeowner, you do need to specify that you're going to hire a contractor that is licensed in the state of California uh, with insurance and workers' comp. And sometimes you may need Cal OSHA permits if you're doing an uh, uh, excavation um, that's greater than five feet. Five, I think it's five feet. Um, then you, your contractor would need a Cal OSHA safety permit. Once you've got all that done, you get issued a job card. 
you get to go and, and start building. Um, now, in that process, if you did not get approval from those permit review stations, if they, our guys are going to spend an hour with you to give you a complete set of corrections and comments on your plans. Okay. You can come back the next day, a week later, a month later, a year, a month later, um, and come back to the counter, and another person will review it, bring the old drawings, bring the new corrected drawings, bring that correction sheet, and our, our guy at the counter will review it. If it's approvable at that point, we'll approve it, and then you go down and pay and uh, get your permit issued. Yes, sir, in the back. The question was, is the uh, correction sheet filed um, with us? Yes, they are. Um, the best deal is actually if you keep that correction sheet, because obviously you need to know what you're correcting, um, and bring that back with you. But we do keep a copy of that uh, uh, correction sheet with us at the counter. So any counter person, you don't have to go back to the one that reviewed it initially. Any counter person can go to the file cabinet, find that file, and, and review your project at that point. Okay. So you got a much more complicated project that's going to take more than an hour to review. You're adding five stories to your two-story bungalow. You can't do that, by the way. But let's say that's what you're doing. Um, and it requires neighborhood review, right? In this, in this city and in most jurisdictions, neighbors get a lot of say in what you do. Um, then that project's probably going to be submitted. I already kind of talked about the site permit, what that means. Once you do get a site permit approved, okay, that allows you to, to uh, submit the addendas, which are your actual construction drawings, okay? So I, I remember I said uh, about site permits is that it's a kind of a basic package of drawings that gives an outline, a gener general outline of what you're trying to build, plans, elevations, so that the planning department and neighborhood can review what you're doing. After you get approval for that, you can come in with your full-blown construction drawings, architectural, structural, if you have mechanical, whatever else you have um, for our review at that point. And again, we, we're going to uh, send that to all review agencies. The other thing for complicated projects that, um, that probably are required for submittal, what we offer is pre-application meetings. What that means is you get to meet with the building department or, uh, the fire and or the fire department um, to basically go over code issues that you may or may not uh, um, agree with. How's that? Um, so we do issue code interpretations in writing that we will honor at, at this pre-application meeting. The cost for a pre-application meeting is a minimum of $160, and you get both uh, uh, um, building and fire staff, if, like I said, if it's fire uh, uh, involved as well. There are pre-application meetings that you can have with the planning department as well, and their charges are a little different, so um, you can certainly make an appointment and have a meeting with them before you submit your project. So you have a much more complicated project. You have two stories. You're adding to three, three stories of uh, existing building. Um, so you're going to go to the same place. You're going to go to the fourth floor at 1660 Mission. Go to the intake counter. That's the initial screening where we're going to review your application, scope of work, building characteristics, and completeness of the package. And again, I want to reiterate how important it is to have a complete package 
and a good quality package because otherwise we can't review it and we're actually going to reject you at this stage. We're going to say, you know what, you don't have structural drawings here. We're not even going to review it because what it is is you're clogging up this. If you're coming in with an incomplete set of drawings, you're clogging up the system for somebody else. Okay, so it's very important to come in with a complete a, a set of drawings. Yes, sir. Right. That's right. For again, the question was. For a site permit, it's sort of an incomplete package. And absolutely, we'll evaluate that package based on what you're trying to submit for. So if you're coming in and you say, I'm submitting for a site permit for a two-story addition to my three-story house, okay, I would expect to see plans of every single floor, a, a plot plan of the entire lot and where the building sits and, all your, and, and where your neighbors sit, and elevations, four sides, and a cross-section across the building. What I don't need to see is the fire rating on the walls, the, uh, the fire rating on the doors. Uh, what I don't need to see is engineering calculations, engineering drawings. Uh, what I don't, definitely don't want to see at that point is p uh, wall colors um, or, or, or tiles, you know, the type of tiles you're using. So that, that, if that, you know, that hopefully that gives you an idea of what to expect at the site permit stage versus at the full-blown addendum stage. The addendums you can come in, and if it's for a house, normally what we like to see is the architectural and the structural uh, addenda come in at the same time. But certainly if you want us to review things separately so that you get things separately, um, we could do that as well. For the bigger projects, the downtown high-rises, we normally entertain somewhere on the upwards of eight addendas because they break it up into different packages. Um, but certainly for us, and it, it, it's better for us if you come in with one addenda simply because then we only have to review it once instead of review it ten times, um, which also helps your schedule uh, as you're building as, for the homeowners. Yes, in the back. Yes. Absolutely. Um, the question was for a site, per, a site permit application, what I would li like to see is a floor plan of all the floors. And I should, I, I should say that I want to see the existing as well as the proposed uh, for all the floors, all the elevations, cross sections. And should this also be the same package that you bring in for the uh, pre-application meeting? Absolutely. That's exactly the package we want to see at the pre-application meeting. Ray, now, can I, can I yeah, just sure. address that as well? Um, for everyone, I mean, you don't have to write all of this down. It's all available on the, uh, the sfgov.org forward slash planning website, uh, as well as the building department's website for those minimum uh, submittal requirements. The site permit's really for land use entitlements and overall bulk and volume that the planning department's mo mostly concerned with. And so if you want to pick up a building permit application packet, either at 1660 Mission Street or at sfgov.org forward slash planning, you can do so. Uh, and it will list exactly what you need to submit. Yes, sir. Yeah, the, the question is we talked about, we, we constantly talk about going up. What about going down? It would be the same process, going down. But going down would mean you, uh, the one added thing that you definitely have to have, maybe, 
is that your contractor may re be required to have an OSHA, uh, Cal OSHA permit in, in order to excavate. Um, yeah, if the structure was already built that way, uh, the question, what if the structure was already built that way? Down? Oh, you don't have to excavate? Yeah, rooms down. Again, you could come in for a site permit or you can come in for a full-blown permit. It, it, it doesn't uh, prevent you from coming in with a full-blown permit. If you're not changing the building envelope, you probably don't need any engineering. Maybe, maybe not. I don't, it depends if you're removing walls or columns and posts and stuff like that. But if you're trying to put rooms down in your existing garage, um, I would come in with the full-blown thing. Yes, ma'am. The question is, if I want to build a studio on my first floor uh, underneath the uh, apartment building, um, do I need to provide parking? I'm going to hand that to Jonas. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I would I would call in to the planning department at the planning information counter and or just walk simply walk down there and ask what your zoning is because the density the zoning district is going to determine what your density is. In other words, how many units you can have on your lot. So if you're in an RH1 district, for example, you couldn't add another dwelling unit to a single-family home. Um, so that's the first thing you want to check. But to answer your question more directly, in San Francisco, every uh, dwelling unit requires an independently accessible off-street parking space. The question is, what about tax assessment if you add a studio to an existing building? I'm going to hand that to Vivian. Hi. Hi. The assessor will reassess your property based on the construction cost of what you're adding to the dwelling. If you're adding another unit, um, they will assess you for another unit. It's not normal maintenance or repair work where they don't normally reassess your property. I wouldn't know offhand. Um, I don't mean to interrupt, but there is a microphone in the middle of the, the aisle if you guys want to ask questions. We're going to have plenty of time for questions uh, later on as well, but, sir. Yeah. Absolutely. The question is, will all the – he noticed that we're filming here, and uh, and will our um, will these seminars be on our website? Absolutely. Um, the the uh, This is SF, uh, Gov TV, SFG TV filming. And the, uh, Bill Strawn in the back, our communications officer, could tell you exactly where to find it uh, later on. Um, our presentation, our slides, are actually going to be on our website, so you can download that uh, when you get a chance. Yes, ma'am. The, the, quest, the question was, um, 
if I am coming in for a site permit and I've been asked to show existing and proposed and I have a tool shed or whatever shed in the back, uh, do I need to show that and it's going to be removed? Yes. The answer is yes. Um, to please go ahead and show that shed and then you're going to remove it. Show everything that's on your lot as existing and proposed. Um, so the, 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 the one of the differences between an over-the-counter permit today versus a submitted project today is that we get to make you pay up front, part of it. So after you've gone through the initial screening phase and that we have deemed that your uh, project uh, submittal is complete and it's of a high quality, um, you're going to get to go pay, and then we'll take your project, you get to go home. Um, and again, the uh, initial permit review station will, re will determine the routing for the necessary review agencies. Okay. So again, those review agencies are the same as the ones you may have seen earlier with uh, over-the-counter. Um, they include planning, uh, building departments, fire department, bureau of streets use and mapping, PUC. Depending if you're opening a restaurant, the health department may get involved. It, it, it depends on a lot of you know, obviously the scope of your work. Remember you paid earlier? Well, you get to pay again. Um, assuming that you've gone through that uh, plan review stage um, and you've gotten all your corrections done, now you have an approvable project, you get to come back to the building department to pick up that approval, um, and you get to pay field inspection fees, PUC fees, transit in impact fees, school fees, PUC, what did I ever say that? Um, and then you're going to be issued a job card. Okay. This, the fees in general are the same in that depending on the scope of work, certain parts of government get a piece of the action. Um, and what happens is that uh, the only difference between an over-the-counter review and a submitter project review today is that we will uh, ask you to pay the plan review fees first. And that's usually 65% of the total permit fee. That's not including the transit and school fees, but the permit fees. So it's the over-the-counter after, after it's been done today. It's probably going to change on Monday, maybe, maybe by next month. I don't know. Um, so there are also additional permits that you're going to need, depending on the scope of work. Um, if you're doing the rooms down, and you're adding a bathroom in, in the first floor, not only do you need a building permit, um, you're going to need an electrical and a plumbing permit. How you get that is your contractor can get that over the counter on the first floor all the way in the back. Okay? Or as a homeowner, you could also do that as well, but you would need to come to the third floor to get that electrical or plumbing permit and demonstrate proficiency in what you are trying to do. And so we'll have one of our inspectors come and talk to you and find out as a homeowner whether or not you can demonstrate that proficiency. The question is what kind of questions are, is our inspection staff going to ask in order to demonstrate proficiency? And I'm very glad that uh, Senior Inspector Ed Sweeney has walked into the room and um, put him on the hot seat for that one. I imagine you're talking about uh, plumbing and electrical. Yes. They're, um, they're going to ask you certain um, technical questions, trade-related questions, to demonstrate your proficiency in able to do the job properly. Um, if you're going for an electrical uh, building permit, I would say one of the questions they're going to ask is what gauge of the wire, uh, location of the plugs, uh, height off the counter, 
And if you can answer that and make them feel at ease that you, you can indeed do the work, uh, they will issue you a homeowner's permit. California Building Code, uh, <laughs> building, plumbing, electrical, mechanical. Right. Uh, there's also San Francisco amendments. Um, Where public library, you can, or you can come down to 1660 Mission. We have all the books. They're located on the first floor. You can also go up to the third floor at any time during business hours, 7.30 to <coughs> uh, 5 o'clock, and ask questions of uh, senior staff, such as myself, and we'll guide you through the process. Okay. Uh, we open at 7.30 in the morning and we close at, at 5 p.m. Monday through Friday. The inspection counter. That's, um, that's third floor. There probably is, but I, 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 I don't go there. I've got the books. The question was, is the uh, California Building Code online? Uh, no, they're not. Um, the San Francisco amendments are online. Um, if the California Building Code was online, I think ICC would be broke. So, um, no, it's not. Just a, a quick comment about that. There's, there's a good bookstore called Builders Bookstores. It's over in um, by um, Wall Street, which is where uh, Red Light. Deer Dog Store. Deer Dog Store. Still yeah. there? Where you can find a lot of books. Okay. Um, uh, Additional permits that may be required would be from Department of Public Works Bureau street use and mapping. Um, and these would, like I said earlier, include street space during construction for your uh, um, debris bin or encroachment permits into the sidewalk and, and whatnot. Jonas is going to talk a little bit about the uh, planning department. Hi, everybody. Now that you're ready to get uh, a permit and understand that the Department of Building Inspection is the permitting issuing agency, the planning department actually plays a significant role in you getting a permit, especially if you're doing an improvement on your single-family home, your duplex, your fourplex. Uh, we are a reviewing agency where we approve the land use as well as the bulk and overall volume and land use of the, of the uh, particular property. I think for most of you, you're interested in improving your own homes or property that you own. And so I'll sort of focus um, my comments on that. I already recommended uh, to this woman in the front, and I'll recommend to everyone, before you begin a project, it's worth your time to come down to 1660 Mission Street to the first floor and talk to a planner at the planning information counter. It's free of charge. You don't need to submit for a project review, but if you so choose to, you may do that as well. And our project review process is similar to the Department of Building Inspection's pre-application process. We'll sit down with you one-on-one. -on -one. We'll review whatever plans you want to bring in. If you don't have any plans and you just want to toss some ideas around, we can do that as well. But that takes um, uh, for you to call in and schedule an appointment and to pay fees. And we just raise those fees so they're, not, they're not, no longer very cheap. And that's why I recommend that you take advantage of the free resource at the planning information counter. Once you've determined what your zoning is, what your density allow allowable density is, you've talked to a planner about the overall bulk and volume that you're proposing to add, 
um, in most instances in the residential districts, we also require a pre-application process, which means that before you even submit for your building permit application, we want you to talk to your neighbors. If you're adding uh, seven feet or more to the height of your building or 10 feet of depth or greater to the back of your building, we want you to talk to your neighbors and we'll uh, require a signed affidavit from you that you've accomplished this. And what that means is talking to your abutting property owners, the two on the side, three on the back, two across, and the three across the street, invite them to either um, your, your, your residence or the site outside and talk to them about what you're proposing to do. This may seem like an uh, uh, overwhelming burden upon you as the project sponsor uh, to do something that you feel is within your right, but take advantage of this. Uh, it's not a burden unless you make it so. The advantage to this is you talk to your neighbors and find out early on before you invest in building in, in plans and architectural fees and engineering fees to drop your building permit application. Um, you find out exactly what concerns your adjacent neighbors may have. If you shift over your, your design ever so slightly, your neighbor may no longer have those concerns. Neighbors will find out about your project anyway, so talk to them early. Um, for almost every vertical or horizontal addition, the planning department is going to require a Section 311 neighborhood notification. It's a 30-day notice that goes out to within 300, uh, within a 300-foot, within a I'm sorry, that's, those are for different ones. Within 150 feet of your property, neighbors will be notified. So for sure, the adjacent neighbors are going to find out about your project. And when they find out at that stage of the game, you've already gone through so much investment into that building permit application that it's going to be frustrating for you to revise your plans and it's going to be frustrating to your neighbors to only hear about it after we've uh, sent out that notification. Um, prior to that notification, the planning department is going to look at your plans and review it against the residential design guidelines. Uh, the planning code has maximum building standards. Okay, You can build up to 40 feet. You can have uh, a depth of 75 feet on a 100-foot lot in an RH1 district. But the residential design guidelines are going to further massage those standards to limit your overall development or bulk and volume of your building, the massing of your, uh, of, of your property. The reason for this is because we don't want to create uh, too much of a negative impact on your neighbors. We want to preserve mid-block open space, and we want to preserve neighborhood character at the front of, uh, on the front facade um, along that block face. Uh, if your property is over 50 years old, today it's a fairly new process. We are going to review it as a potential historic resource. It used to be that properties older than uh, uh, built prior to 1913 would be reviewed against or uh, as a his potential historic resource. Now new legislation requires us to review any building over 50 years old. Uh, I mentioned at that point, once, we're, once the planning department is satisfied uh, with the design of the building and the additions, we determine that it's appropriate, that it meets all the, planning, uh, all the planning code standards, and the residential design guidelines will send it out for that 30-day notification and hold your building permit application. During that 30-day notification period, your neighbors will get a, an extensive packet 
uh, they'll receive not only uh, an explanation from the planning department as to what you're proposing and what you're doing, but a reduced set of plans. And that reduced set of plans is actually 11 by 17. Um, and during that 30-day notification period, any neighbor, any person who resides in San Francisco, or any person otherwise can file for a discretionary review against your, against your proposal. A discretionary review is a process by which it's no longer an administrative review, but it goes before the Planning Commission, and it becomes a public hearing at that point. Okay? And that's where the pre-application process, your discussions early on with your neighbors, is an advantage to you as a developer or project sponsor, because hopefully if you did that and you listened to what your neighbor said and you may possibly modified or mitigated their concerns, then you can avoid the DR process at the end. And believe me, you don't want to get involved in a DR process. Um, let's say you've gone through that whole entire process. You're, you, you know, you, the planning department signs off on your permit. We send it to uh, Department of Building Inspection, Fire, and then they begin their process of reviewing your addenda package uh, with the mechanical and the structural and all of that. There's still one last crack neighbors can have at you because once they issue your per their permit, and even if you had a DR hearing before the Planning Commission, anyone can still file within 15 days of issuance of your permit an appeal of your permit to the Board of Appeals and get a second bite of that apple. So. You should be. <laughs> Oh, the, the question was the, the question at the front was are, are you done then? As long as you build within the scope of your permit, you should be okay. I had a question. Do all projects have to go in front of the planning commission after it's gone through planning review, or only if there's a discretionary review because some neighbor filed something, then it has to go in front of the planning uh, the, the planning commission. Uh, no, not every project has to go before the Planning Commission, uh, especially uh, most small residential projects that are within the built, uh, buildable area. So I mentioned the planning cone standards. Uh, if you want to exceed those, you'll have to go or request and justify a variance from the zoning administrator, which is similar to a, a public hearing before the Planning Commission. Um, but if, you're, if no one's filed a discretionary review against your application, then no, you won't have to have a public hearing. Could you repeat the, what you said about the 15 days after permit? Is that after you got your, your school permit, your job card? Your right. That's for any uh, – the, the question was uh, uh, with the 15-day appeal period. And this applies to any building permit application, an over-the-counter permit, uh, you know, with or without plans. 15 days after it's issued to you, anyone can appeal that permit to the Board of Appeals. Um. Uh, going back to the, um, I think the second point from the previous uh, uh, slide, the, um, the pre-application with neighbors, um, you mentioned seven-foot height. What if the building is only going up six-foot, eight inches high? It's not required then. I mean, we, 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 we have to create thresholds by which we require things. Every application for any modification to your building, if it, even if it doesn't exceed those thresholds, we strongly recommend that you talk to your neighbors and schedule a, uh, uh, a public outreach meeting and discuss your project with your neighbors. I have a question. 
is neighborhood notification uh, required if it's a strictly an internal remodel, say remodeled kitchen, addition of a half bath? Uh, interior remodels do not require neighborhood notification, but changes of use, like if you're adding a dwelling unit, even if it's within the building envelope, would require notification. I have a question about which neighbors. Could you please repeat? Um, does it depend on, for example, I'm contemplating a horizontal addition in the back of my house. So the people across the street, um, on the other side of the street, will only see construction trucks. They won't really see much of anything else. So, like, what's the circle that I would want to meet with my neighbors? Are you, is the question for the pre-application or for the neighborhood notification via Neighbor, Section the, 311? The uh, pre-application meeting with neighbors. The pre-application meeting really, really um, is geared to your abutting property owners, which do include the three properties directly across the street from you, but that is more geared towards the vertical additions, and you're right, the horizontal additions they're not going to see or, or really be impacted by. Um, so that could be at your discretion, uh, you know, if it's, if it's a, only a horizontal addition. I have a question about decreasing density, and if someone wanted to convert a two-unit building into a single-family home, what would they do about that? Well, you'd submit an application, but the Planning Commission has determined that um, housing is, a, is an asset and we don't have enough of it in San Francisco, and so they're looking at dwelling unit mergers very carefully, and the Planning Commission has adopted a mandatory discretionary review for dwelling unit mergers. And what that means is, is if you are going, if you've got a duplex or you bought a duplex and you lived in one and all of a sudden you've got a family and you said, hey, you know, it's cheaper for me to merge the two units and to buy something else, unfortunately, the Planning Commission re requires that you go before them and justify what or why you, you need to do that. Um, so it's, it's a discretionary review hearing before the Planning Commission. Uh, you ca it can be avoided if you meet four out of the five criteria. Uh, it can be approved administratively, administratively by the zoning administrator. Um, but as soon as the Planning Commission adopted the policy, people started getting smart, and, 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 and they said, okay, well, we won't merge the units. What we'll do is we'll, we'll expand one of the units, and we'll reduce the second unit into a tiny little studio, and we'll never rent it out. So we really didn't change the density, right? We've still got two units. The application says two units are two units. It's just interior remodeling. Well, we've, uh, the zoning administrator has determined that uh, those applications will be brought before the Planning Commission under the mandatory discretionary review policy as tantamount to mergers. Uh, my question has to do with um, historical buildings, residential guidelines, and second, I understand that windows, exterior windows come under Planning Commission review. So first, um, the historical buildings over 50 years old, is the cost plan, um, planning fee more because you have to do a historical review? And second, why do you need to look at windows? Why does the Planning Commission need to review when we replace windows? Okay, the first question is the historic review. If um, the planning staff determines that you have an architecturally significant building or it is of a potential historic resource, a preservation technical specialist within each quadrant team that reviews building permit applications will determine whether or not it needs a historic resource review. And depending upon the cost of the job will determine the additional fee that will be required of you. You will also possibly be required to hire a historic resource consultant to, to, to 
provide those additional documents to the planning department. Why does the uh, – you, you said planning commission, but the planning commission doesn't get involved unless it's DR uh, for window replacement, but the planning department does review window replacement. The reason it planning department reviews window replacement is that we're charged with preservation of neighborhood character. And what we have found in the past, it's improving, but the vinyl windows and aluminum windows, uh, if they're replacing original wood windows, does significant um, – has a significant negative impact to the facade of buildings. And so when we're talking about preserving neighborhood uh, character, it can do a real damage to the, to the way the building looks and the presentation of it on the street. And so that's what we're concerned about. The windows that are visible from the street, so the windows in the rear, we're not as concerned about unless it's a landmark or a historic resource. A quick question. What... Uh, Initial steps with your department do you suggest taking if uh, you believe that uh, someone has done work far in excess of their uh, job card or permits? For example, uh, let's say there's no vertical addition, uh, horizontal addition, I should say, indicated, but actually they've busted out the wall and built a whole extended bathroom. Where do people go first to try to check that out? We get a lot of those calls. They're called complaints. Um, Call 558-6096. Is your question specific that they have a building permit and they're going way beyond it? Yes. Yeah, you'd make a complaint, give the address. Uh, you can remain anonymous if you like, and your complaint would be, be saying that on such such an address, they're going beyond the scope of the building permit. And if you can be a little more specific, it helps us, the location of the building, where in the building it is, and uh, exactly what they're doing. Uh, I have a question going back to um, planning. Um, I know you mentioned something about you want to make sure we, we uh, talk to our neighbors to avoid discretionary review. Just for a worst-case example, so I understand what that means or what's involved in that process. Um, I understand you say under a 30-day period after the notification to, to the neighbors that uh, people have 30 days to file a discretionary review. So from there, what happens, and what could that mean to somebody who's trying to do something? Well, it can put a halt to your project for many months. Uh, we've got some discretionary review cases still on file. I've got one on my desk from 2003. Um, so that's why I say talk to your neighbors. They're going to find out anyway, and to avoid a discretionary review at all costs. Um, worst case scenario is what I just described to you, is someone submitted for an application uh, for a simple garage addition and all of a sudden uh, they can't add that garage because uh, someone filed a discretionary review and they can't come to terms. Um, some people try to avoid a hearing before the planning commission because they don't want to the, the planning commission to then change or modify their project because under a worst case scenario, if you're adding a third story to your two-story home, the planning department determines that it is an appropriate project, that it, it you know, conforms to the planning code and the residential design guidelines. But your neighbor files for a discretionary review. You goes, it goes before the planning commission. You argue your case. The neighbor argues their case. Other neighbors and interested parties can speak under public comment to the, to the planning commission. And the Planning Commission sides with your neighbor. And then they tell you 
that we're going to take DR and we're going to modify your project, or in the worst case scenario, we're going to take DR and deny your project. We're going to say that you can't build any third story under the worst case scenario. Most instances, they may, they may require a chamfered corner or some sort of side setback or reduction of that third story. Uh, but a worst case scenario is they'll deny your project. Uh, getting back to the question that somebody raised earlier about the windows and replacing windows on older buildings, how do you balance planning's need for maintaining the character, which you talked about, with a, a uh, owner's need to, you know, better seal his home, to reduce his energy costs, to be more green and efficient in the building of that home or the envelope of that home. And clearly there are two separate considerations. Clearly, and it's an ongoing debate. It's a, it's, it's a bit of a juggling act to try to balance those two needs. And uh, personally, I sympathize with, with homeowners. Um, but part of the problem was the, was the vinyl window industry. Um, when, they, when they first came on the scene, uh, they, they were ugly, they were built poorly, um, and, and they really tore up uh, the character of the facade of, of most buildings. Uh, what we're finding today is the vinyl window industry has improved dramatically. Under certain circumstances, we can approve vinyl windows, but if the original windows were wood, we would still prefer wood windows. Um, it's, it's kind of amazing. I had a discussion with Lawrence Cornfield about this, actually, and he was finding that at when vinyl windows were first being installed, people were coming back 10 to 15 years later to replace those windows again. And the wood windows that were being replaced were 50 to 100 years old. So there, there is a bit of a balance as far as greening and, 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 and cost because wood windows cost a little more. But if you're coming back every 15, 20 years, and I don't believe that's true anymore. Uh, so I don't want to knock the vinyl window industry, but um, they've, they've cons improved considerably. But there's cladding involved now that is acceptable, and, and so we're, we're, we're seeing more, more energy-efficient windows that are designed with more reveal, uh, depth, uh, and, and articulation for the facade. Um, I have a few questions. Uh, going back, first, I'd like to know um, how long does it generally take to obtain a building permit or just a permit in general? It, it really depends on the uh, scope of work. If you're doing a rooms down, um, adding another bedroom to your, your, your first floor, it could take probably about two hours. How okay. about like a building permit? Like for say you, you, you have a lot and you like to build a house like that process, how long does it generally take? Wow, you have an empty lot? That's <laughs> I'd leave it that way, make it a parking lot. But um, <laughs> for something like that, depending on how big your project's going to be, um, you would come in and the first stop would be planning review. And again, if it meets all the requirements, and um, right now I'm not sure what the backlog for planning is. Maybe Jonas could speak to that. But once you get planning's approval and it comes to us at the building department, um, the backlog for that kind of a project is probably on the order of two weeks. The, if it's a site permit that comes in first, the review of the site permit is going to be a day or two uh, after that two-week wait. Um, if it is a full permit, it will probably take a little bit longer. Um, and that's to get you comments and corrections. Now becomes incumbent upon you and your design professional to uh, um, correct 
the, the drawings so that they do conform to code and then bring that back to us for final review and approval. Um, so it kind of depends on the scope of work, the nature of your project, DRs, neighborhood revolts, you know, all sorts of stuff. So, Yeah, um, there's always, you know, two kinds of projects that come to the planning departments, really well designed, really well thought out, good project sponsors that have talked to their neighbors and have, their, have a complete application, okay? That's the best case scenario, and if that happens, uh, we can probably turn that around, including neighborhood notification, within about three months. All right. Three months. But I've heard longer, way longer than that. Like right. Six but years. I mean, I said a very well-designed building <laughs> using very good materials that have spoken to their neighbors. I and mean, we're talking about you know a perfect project. Uh, we don't get those every day. Okay. Uh, people are trying to you know cut costs here or there. And in the process, the project doesn't come out as good as, as we would like it to be or possibly as good as the neighbors would like it to be. And so in that case, uh, realistically, if you're talking about a new construction, it'd probably take possibly anywhere from four to six months. If you get a DR attached to that, it can take anywhere from nine months to a year. And a second question I have is how do you determine the permit fees? Um, our fees are based on the estimated construction cost of the project. Um, we estimate that construction cost based on the standard um, uh, estimating guidelines. You may put $1,000 on your application uh, for a bathroom remodel. Uh, I've seen $50 because they said, hey, I'm, I, I've already got the tile sitting there and I'm doing the labor myself and, and my neighbor and, and my brother-in-law is coming in for a, for, for a couple of beers to help me out. So it's only $50. But no, that's not true because what we have to charge you is the average estimated cost for that type of construction. So for a bathroom remodel is on the order of five to six thousand dollars. Um, and our six thousand. Fifty six hundred is our cheapest for, for a bathroom remodel. So um, and then our fees are based on that. And there's a schedule of fees in the building in the San Francisco building code and it basically ranges um, depending on how much the the estimated construction cost is. I think there's a minimum charge of a couple hundred dollars. Um, and then planning, y their fees are some, something like 100 to $600, depending on the type of review that they have. Um, and so, but it's all, for us, for the building department, it's all tied to the construction costs. Let's see. And one last question. Um, how do I find out those zoning codes? The planning codes are available online, as are the residential design guidelines, okay. as, as most of the handouts we hand out at the counter. Uh, or you can go down to the planning information counter. And our website, again, is sfgov.org uh, forward slash planning. And you can find all of our codes and guidelines on, on that website. Yes, sir, the guy right, the guy I can't see behind. Oh. And it's on. Um, we've spoken to the neighbors already, and most of the neighbors okayed the project for a single-family home. What the problem is, there's one neighbor next to the lots that is uh, opposing the project, but she's encroaching the project where we're going to put a street, uh, a sidewalk, not a, not a sidewalk, but a street to go up into the two homes. Now, is that justified, or what's your thoughts on that? There's always one. Um, and the, the, the part
part of the problem with the DR process is that there's no threshold. There's no logical reason that you need in order to file for a discretionary review. Anyone can file a discretionary review for any reason, planning related or otherwise, and they'll get their day in court before the Planning Commission. What you need to do is be able to prepare your case and argue uh, and justify your project to the Planning Commission, and uh, more times than not, they'll, they'll, you know, they'll see the, uh, the, the reasoned uh, argument and the reasonable project and, and approve it. Um, so is it justified? I mean, it's you know, yeah, probably subjective. Not. I mean, okay. okay, thank you. You know, actually, I may ask this gentleman the question: Was the encroachment for a period of five years and one minute after midnight at the fifth year? They've held the property for 20 years now. And yeah. Five years plus one minute after minute after fifth year. If nothing was done to it within five years, that neighbor has a right to that encroachment. You can't do anything about it. Talk, talk to a lawyer. <laughs> I, I, actually, I'm not sure about that answer. I'm not talk, sure. Talk that, to that, a lawyer. I'm not sure about the validity of that comment. So, um, anyway. Uh, going back to the, uh, uh, hang on. The, the microphone's coming to you. So. Well, I practiced. <laughs> going back to the historical review process for buildings that were built before 1957, um, I'm just curious. Uh, it seems to me that maybe 90% of the buildings in San Francisco qualify for that. Is that right? And second of all, what is involved in this historical review process? Uh, you're absolutely correct. Uh, this, this new requirement affects the majority of, of properties in San Francisco. Um, but obviously buildings built in the 50s, 60s, and maybe the 70s, uh, well, I guess the 60s and 70s doesn't really apply yet, but uh, even in the 50s, uh, they don't merit historic preservation. And, and as I mentioned to you, um, the planning department has um, sliced the city into four quadrants. We have four teams that's, that, that review building permit applications specific to those quadrants so that they're fairly familiar with the neighborhoods and the design of buildings in, in those uh, four quadrants, um, and a preservation technical specialist who has a historic uh, preservation background will review those building permit applications for alterations for those buildings that are potential historic resources, and he'll take it he'll take it step by step. Uh, that person will review it, determine whether or not it's a historic resource or a potential historic resource, and if it's not, um, hopefully in most cases then he'll just pass it on and uh, to, to another building uh, planner for just regular review. But if he, he or she does determine that it's a potential historic resource, then it'll require some um, additional information from you, and that can go, that can vary in cost as well as uh, the requirements that, um, that will be required of you. Uh, I have a question about... Um let me see if I could phrase this correctly, uh, retroactive permits. For instance, there's a building that has a, an addition, another unit that didn't get the proper permits. Is there a procedure where we could apply and uh, kind of retroactively get everything that's necessary to, to claim that unit as um, legitimate? Could you repeat the question, please? 
Ed, the question was whether or not. How to legalize a unit? Yeah, that's how you want to phrase it. We treat that if it's, if you have improvements done, alterations done to your home without building permits, no matter when they were done, we treat that as unwarranted work. To legalize a project, you would have to come in, submit a set of plans, basically start from scratch. You're going to get a permit to legalize it, legalize or remove it. So you would need a set of plans showing where the location of the work was, what the work was. Probably the big pitfall is plumbing, electrical, and structural, insulation. You're probably going to have to take some sheetrock off for us to look at the wiring, look at the plumbing, make sure you have the necessary insulation, Title 24 requirements. And we want to see how you constructed the walls structurally. We'll work with you. I mean, usually you don't have to pull all the sheetrock off. I guess I have a follow-up question on that. If somebody has gone down that route and then apparently lied, perhaps negligently, perhaps intentionally to you in terms of what kind of work was done as opposed to what they actually did, what's the enforcement there? Is it a rip-out? Is it a wall-off? How do you approach that? It's a pretty broad question. We work with the homeowners of San Francisco. It could very well be if you can't legalize it, we're going to ask you to remove the unit. If you have an extra kitchen in a single-family dwelling and you can't legalize it, yes, we're going to ask you to remove it. That can involve all the way up to the city attorney getting involved. That's the worst-case scenario. Does that answer your question? Most of the way. If we don't want to really go that far with the miscreant, let's say, but at the same time we want to make sure that whatever he or she has put in there is safe and he or she gets it legalized, does the concerns of the complaining party coordinate with the absolute requirements of the law to come up with some accommodation that's not destructive to what's been built but just gets it legalized but at the same time safe for the people who are living over it? Once you make a complaint, you can monitor the complaint, you can make additional complaints, but you cannot get involved with the district building inspector and his decisions. His decision, he's a neutral third party. He has to act within the code and he has to assess the situation and make the best decision at the time. Again, it's a very broad question, but he has to conform to the code and planning regulations. But you can call and ask where he's at with the complaint, what he's going to do, and if you don't agree, you can call his supervisor. Thank you. The gentleman on the far end of the table indicated that housing stock was at a premium. Does that include illegal units? Does that include illegal units? Well, I guess you can interpret that to be yes. Our code enforcement division in San Francisco doesn't make that a priority. We don't like to evict people. We don't like seeing people living in unsafe housing conditions, but we don't like to evict 
tenants who are who are living in quote unquote illegal units or unwarranted units. We will pursue the case though and make the homeowner uh, legalize or eventually take out the unit if if uh, it gets to that. I think it's important to realize too we don't really we don't recognize the second unit or the third unit whatever it may be. Um, we don't go up and down the street looking for them. But if we get a complaint, we will investigate and we'll, we'll write up a notice of violation, send it to a director's hearing, uh, just like we would any other complaint. We treat them no different at all. There's a perception that the building department uh, casts a blind eye towards uh, unwarranted second, third units. Uh, it's not true. It's just not a high priority. few questions. Um, so if you want to remodel a few units, can you put it on one permit? Or do you have to have three different permits for each unit that you do in your kitchen? In? If it is an um, apartment building, then everything could be all in one permit. If it is a condo, then it would be separate. Or a townhouse, it would be a separate permit. Okay, another one. Uh, uh, three R's and this, this uh, density rating, uh, is that available online? So the 3R and the what? Well, the density, so R1, R2, R3. How do you know what a building is? Where's that information? Oh, oh basically in terms of uh, use, what we call uh, the, well, the assessors. See, I don't know if the uh, public gets access to well, that. Well, the, the, you can't find it online, but you can call into the planning information counter to determine what your zoning is, and so, that will okay. determine your density. Okay, and... Um, as far as plans go, um, for like a remodel, can it be hand-drawn or computer-generated, or you need an architect? The drawings, the, the code stipulates that the drawings need to be legible. Minimum size of the uh, paper or sheet is 11 by 17. The code does actually allow you to put things on cloth, but that's not what I'm suggesting that you do. Um, so minimum size, 11 by 17 paper. It's got to be in pen or ink. It can be hand-drawn but it's got to be legible, and again, it's got to be a complete set of drawings. Um, AutoCAD is fine, uh, it's preferred, but uh, hand-drawn is certainly fine. Okay, just a comment. Uh, this lady wanted to combine a unit, and this lady wanted to add a unit, and you can, neither one can do it. Is that what I heard? That's not correct. What um, I said is that there will be a process by which that that can be accomplished. I think reducing the number of dwelling units is discouraged by the planning commission because policy a housing shortage because there is a housing shortage to add a dwelling unit you need to provide independently accessible off-street parking which is not always available however there is a process by which you can request a variance oh. so that you don't need to provide that parking Apartment and uh, it has a two double door. Oh, I probably don't need it. Uh, it um, it has the double doors. I think it, maybe it could be eliminated. One of the doors on a double door garage to provide off street parking for the one extra studio. Uh, maybe. Hmm. Well, the, the, the trick is is, you, is for each new dwelling unit, you need to provide an independently accessible. Yeah off-street parking space. So in other words, it can't be a tandem space stacked one behind the other. Uh, they have to be, when, when the car, when all the cars are parked, each of the individual cars have to be able to get in and out of the spaces. Oh, I see. All right. Um, mm. It's been 
quite common these days for people to install stackers, uh, these sort of you know mechanical things yeah. that lift your cars. I mean, I've, I've seen them installed in, in you know. Well, this is from 50 years ago. I mean, where they were back-to-back uh, -back on two here and two there mm -hmm. for four, four parking places. But if the one side um, is um, divided uh, and make off-street parking, because up there um, uh, where my apartment is, is it's, it's very uh, complicated, uh, the parking uh, facilities there. And for one parking place in the street would be uh, really uh, – and especially if you rent it, say, to someone who doesn't have a car, maybe a law could be provided because it could take up a lot of people that are only making a minimum salary, and they, they're all over the place, and I can't furnish anything to help them, you know, because I'm not allowed to, and a lot of them would love it, especially if they can go through the garage. And if it's, if a it's a small studio unit, um, I rarely see the zoning administrator not grant a variance for the off-street parking. Very good. Thank you. A couple of questions. There's a um, I would just like to, you know, you said that a building that's 50 years old wouldn't merit, like, historic value. And I, I guess I sort of take exception to that. It seems like, in general, I've heard this before, that San Francisco likes its new buildings to look old. And um, I guess it seems like there is a kind of sort of pressure on um, designs to look old and new innovative designs are, I mean, I, I would think a building from the 50s could be, you know, very significant, you know. I mean, unfortunately, there's not a lot of good modern architecture in this city, and I think it's your, the policies kind of, you know, inhibit that. Uh, I hope I, my, my comments didn't um, imply that a 50-year-old building could not be a historic resource. It obviously can. Um, and as far as um, new buildings looking old, uh, that's more of um, coming out of the neighborhoods than it is out of the planning department. The planning department fully supports modern buildings and modern architecture. Uh, we would love to see more of it. Um, it's just assumed in San Francisco that everything has to be a Victorian, and that's no longer true. I mean, it's impossible, actually. Okay, that's not what I was hearing. But no, I mean, I mean, that's not what I was hearing I, from what you're saying, but... I hope that's, I clarified. That's good news to hear that. I, I, I think that we should all encourage that. How are we doing on time? Uh, we're out of time. we got one more question, but we're out of time? Look at it. It's a 10 more minutes. Okay. Uh, I was wondering if you could expand a little bit more on the um, uh, getting a variation for uh, variance, I'm sorry, for uh, exceptions and um, things like that. Uh, variances, um, as I mentioned to you, the planning code establishes building standards, certain depths, certain heights, certain widths, um, dimensions, okay, and, and uh, off-street parking requirements, um, exposure requirements, open space requirements, rear yard requirements. And so all of those can be varied. The only thing that cannot be varied are height limits. And so what you do is you submit an application. Uh, there will be a hearing before the zoning administrator once a month, generally the last Wednesday of the month in City Hall. You argue your case. You rally a little bit of support. People who oppose come and speak 
in opposition, and then the zoning administrator makes a determination, and then a variance determination letter is issued, either granting or denying your request. Um, let me finish off here by saying that uh, thank you all for coming. I mean, you guys have, are, are ahead of the curve by educating and preparing yourself. Um, you've got Jonas here answering some of the tough questions that a lot of uh, uh, residents have. And, but feel free, there's plenty of brochures in the back. Um, and also come down to 1660 Mission and talk with any of our um, uh, um, building inspectors or, or uh, plans examiners or, or uh, permit technicians and, and, and whatnot. Yeah.